Hello and welcome to Foot Bros, the podcast where we discuss football, fantasy, and more with Keenan, my bro. How you doing, Keenan? Good evening, Tristan. I am utterly thrilled off the back of an exciting week <laughs> of football, and I cannot wait to get into it. Yeah, it's been pretty crazy, hasn't it? I think, uh, with no further ado, we should get stuck into the you know the the hot topic of this week, which is Chelsea four, Tottenham one. Absolutely, uh, and that is the result uh, that came out of that game. And I, as to begin with, I am a Chelsea fan, so I was pleased with the outcome. But as one of the Sky Sports commentators aptly put it yesterday. The result tells about 10% of the story of that game, which I would say is probably the craziest game of football I have ever seen in my life. Right. Uh, there's no exaggeration to say that. There was so much to talk about. Craziness. Just before we kind of before we like go into the game itself, just some stats for you. I haven't written these down, but off the top of my head, I believe there were five actual goals, five disallowed goals, two oh, actual goals. Yes, five. Two actual red cards, and then probably three could have been red cards. Um, nine actual yellow cards, and then more craziness on top of that. Um, <laughs> 21 added minutes of stoppage time, 12 in the first half, nine in the second, and only 43 minutes of actual football played in the entire game. And two serious injuries to Tottenham. A whirlwind of chaos. Uh, chaos is yeah chaos is a good way of putting it so how did the game start well the first 15 minutes Tottenham were absolutely unreal I think I said to you yesterday it was like watching a FIFA pro player play a game <laughs> of FIFA like them moving the way they kind of the way they just anticipated each other's placement and the speed with which they were just flowing the ball around oh I mean I watched that. If you had asked me at like the twelfth minute of the game, what what's the score going to be at the end of this? I would have been like probably like four and five nil Tottenham. Um, they Chelsea couldn't deal with it. They couldn't. Kulusevski got his goal. It was it was a bit of a fortunate deflection, but it's definitely deserved. Son then very nearly got a second. Uh, he was just a tiny bit offside, and then uh, it it all com it all fell apart for Tottenham. This really more than anything, was the story of Tottenham tonight because they just collapsed under their own, <laughs> under their own foolishness. Um, I believe I'm getting these events in order, right? First, Udogi goes in for a studs-up, double-footed um, tackle on Raheem Sterling that he luckily just moves out of the way for, avoiding his legs being broken. Um... If that had connected, it would have been an easy red. I think it was a red anyway because of how crazy the, the attempted tackle was. But Udogi did not get a red for that one. Then Romero, uh, whilst on the ground, just kicks Levi Corwell, completely unprovoked, just kicks him. Um, only got a yellow for that, I believe. Or no, he didn't. It wasn't spotted. That's right. Um, so that also could have been a red because we've seen reds like that given before. David Beckham mm -hmm. got a red that against uh, Argentina in the World Cup. Chelsea uh, started getting back into the game a little bit, actually. Um, they, got, they got two disallowed goals. Uh, one of them was completely fair. It was Raheem Sterling dribbled it nicely, but then he kind of handballed it to keep it in play and then, and then scored. So it was a handball there. Another one was a, a nice Caicedo shot from outside the box. That one was... 
extremely close. Um, Jackson was a tiny bit offside and supposedly interfering with the goal. I'm not so sure, but it didn't really matter anyway, because at the exact same time, um, Romero did a big old kick <laughs> into Enzo Fernandez's shins uh, in the penalty area and got a straight red for it. Penalty to Chelsea. Cole Palmer uh, hits it well. Uh, Vicario, who, by the way, was absolutely phenomenal in that game, uh, nearly saves it. And uh, there's a go. Chelsea equalize and Spurs are down to 10. And then the second half. Uh, well, first of all, do you have any? What, what did you make of that first half? Craziest half, even more crazy than the second half, which itself was crazy. I, I'm not gonna lie. I only saw the highlights, so I yeah. didn't. I'm not like dividing this into into first half and second half. But you could tell from the highlights reel. You can see the whole story. You can sort of see the story of the game. You can see the the bright Tottenham start, and then the deflation as the first red card comes in, and then the second one, and then. I, I remember I was watching it. The the three final Chelsea goals are almost identical, and it's just it's clear that that there's nine men on the other side, nine men that are looking kind of lost, and well, it's just a pass in behind, two on one, beat the keeper, boom, and that's it. Well, so the second half then, uh, so Spurs start with ten men. Obviously, they're a slight disadvantage, but they're doing all right. And then uh, Udogi, like I said, who could have been sent off already, then absolutely chops, um, I think it's Sterling again, actually. Yeah, it is. And uh, gets, gets his second yellow, and he's off. So at this point, Spurs now are at, down to nine men. And um, <laughs> Ange Postecoglou makes the very brave, very interesting decision of continuing to play a crazy high line. Um, Tottenham, Tottenham's line is basically at the halfway line, their defensive line. And in fairness, it kind of worked for a while. Chelsea were... Chelsea, by the way, the scoreline was 4-1, but Chelsea did not play well in this game. They did not. Except for that little 5-10 minute period I told you about in the first half where they kind of got yeah. back into the game. The second half was bad. They, 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 had, they, weren't, they weren't even breaking down a nine-man team. Uh, and Tottenham had chances of their own, actually, with nine men. So, you know, we're, we're saying now that it was... Uh, well, a lot of people are saying it was an error to continue playing such a high, high line with nine men. Like you say, like you said, eventually, you know, they were getting runs in behind enough of them to just, you know, just get two or three men breaking free and then boshing in some goals. Uh, so, yeah, eventually they were, called, they were called out for that high line. But um, on another day... Tottenham could have uh, could have gotten something from that game, so mm. you know they showed some they showed some real character. But uh, Van der Veen pulled his hamstring, so he'll be out for a, for a few weeks or months. And obviously Romero and Udogi will uh, will serve three game suspensions because of the red cards they got. So now most of their back line is going to be out for a while, or most of their starting back line. And uh, I think that's going to cause a real headache for Tottenham because. As we've discussed before, their starting team is a lot better than their bench. Um, so I think this will be an issue for them in the next few games. And actually looking at that run of fixtures over the next three game weeks for Spurs, I see that there is another team that tanked it this week. Villa, who lost to Sheffield United. That they did. Uh, big win for Sheffield, bad loss for Villa, who were previously on very good form. Mm -hmm. um, 
I don't know what happened. I did not see the game, um, but uh, they won't be happy with that. <laughs> no, but Sheffield United definitely will be because that was their first win of the season, and yeah. they're in they're in dangerously poor form, especially given that they have they have uh, I think like twenty players that are sidelined for a reason, some reason or another. It's, it's there's this huge number of players that are sidelined because they're injured or they're out for some other reason or it's they're, they're lacking their squad is their squad is 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 very decimated right now all right so that was a huge win well that's yeah that'll, that'll give them the confidence then good for them hopefully not so good for those of us who owned uh, ollie watkins in fpl um no the man is once again not delivered and um you know in in this this season in particular funds are really stretched because you got Haaland and Salah who for most people are essential picks you know because of the output they can have but they are spenny my friends they are spenny and so funds are really stretched and when you've got a player like Ollie Watkins who's in the 8 sort of 8 million bracket yeah you kind of need him to be doing things um, because, you know, for me anyway, I look at my team and like, oh, I really wish I had a bit of money like to get Trippier, for example. I haven't, I don't have Trippier. And each week I kind of regret it because he always delivers. And so mm. I'm looking at my team and I'm like, is there a place where I can free up money to get Kieran Trippier? And, you know, I, I glance over my midfield. The only people I could sell to get money for him are like Salah and Son. And I think they're both... I, I think they're both unsellable for me right now anyway. Um, and then Haaland, I'm not going to sell him either. So it's it's kind of only Ollie Watkins, that, as, at least a single player anyway, that I could yeah. use money uh, for an upgrade like that. So yeah, I'm looking at him and I've got my eye on him. I don't think I'll force sell him just yet, but I do have my eye on him. Well, I think it's I think it's definitely worth watching over the next couple of game weeks because Fulham shouldn't be a difficult fixture. Technically, Sheffield shouldn't have been a difficult fixture, but Fulham isn't either. And they've got Bournemouth as well coming up. And so maybe keep an eye out. And because after that, they do have a run of City, Arsenal and Brentford. So maybe if, if he's still not performing in a game week or so, it might, indeed, you're right, it might be worth freeing up those funds mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and shifting him on. Also because Villa have tough fixtures coming up anyway. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd no, agree with you on that one. That's a good strategy, that, to sort of, you know, to avoid panic buying, especially if the fixtures are decent, in the, sorry, panic selling, especially if the fixtures are decent in the, for, in the short term. Yeah. Uh, you know, give them, that, give them the chance, give them the opportunity, and then if they haven't, brought, if they haven't delivered during the short term, short, during those easy fixtures, uh, it's safe to say it will be harder for them to do it with, the, with a tougher run. Yeah. So. I'll also personally uh, be be rolling anyway right uh, my 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 free transfer this week just because i have i have three players that came away with the last game week uh with knocks so madison and harland who they theoretically minor knocks but we want to i want to keep my eye on them so i'm not not selling them yet but i need to i need to see if this gets worse or anything and mm-hmm. then dan burn who's out for a while I could sell Dan Burns straight away, but I I want to I want to see how things evolve with Watkins and anything else. See see because like for example, I could uh, do a double transfer next week 
uh, take out Watkins and bring in Trippier for Dan Byrne, and then somebody else is uh, on that on that top line, maybe Alvarez or or someone else. We'll see. But I, I'm definitely rolling for this next game week to to keep my options options as uh, as broad as possible. Yeah. When it comes to the game week after that, especially with regards to those injuries. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. That sounds good. Um, for me, I, I I don't think I'll be rolling. I've got so I've got Botman, who's been in my team for a while, but he's been injured. No, sorry, he's been in my team from the beginning, but he's been injured for a while. And yeah. um, you know, I do need to probably move him on. I it, it it had been suggested that he might come back shortly, but now it's not looking like he actually will. Um, so I might have to sell him or. Jensen, who when I brought him in, he was like he had the best form of all midfielders, um, but uh, he hasn't done too much these last two or three weeks. Um, and his next game is Liverpool away, so uh, I'm considering selling either yeah, either Jensen or Botman. And Jensen, I, I don't know. See, we're talking about you know Douglas Louise is probably the obvious sort of similar price pick, but then we're talking about Villa and how their form isn't great, and I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not sure if I want to go for a second Villa asset, especially uh, just because, as we were saying, they're more one to watch right now. Um, and then I would love to get Cole Palmer uh, because, uh, you know, he, he is 5 million and he's uh, seems to be nailed on now on the starting team on that right wing for Chelsea, this is. And he seems to be on penalties. He's now gotten three penalty goals in like the last four games. But... They still Chelsea still have City, Newcastle, Brighton, and United in the next four. So that is an awful run of fixtures. Really horrendous. I personally would recommend my uh, my Anthony Gordon, who has been doing wonders for me over the last couple of game weeks. Who delivered again this week with a controversial goal. We'll come back to that. But it's looking like Newcastle, their assets, and like Gordon, for example, are pretty fixture proof. They have an all right run of fixtures. There's Chelsea and Man U, but both of them are not on flying form. Uh, Bournemouth, Everton, then there's Fulham and Luton further down the line. So Newcastle assets are looking pretty good and Gordon is cheap, which, mm-hmm. which allows to free up those funds that we were discussing as well. So if you're looking for a midfielder, I might suggest that. Do you think he's rotation proof or safe enough? I think he's proving his worth uh, week in, week out, which makes him more and more nailed on. Well, Isak has an injury, doesn't he, right? So that helps. It does. So also, so coming back to this, uh, Anthony Gordon's goal. What, what about that one? <laughs> so a disappointing result for Arsenal, a very lovely result for Newcastle, and a controversial goal at the heart of it. Uh, <laughs> classic Premier League. Another, mm-hmm. another VAR controversy they really seem to be racking up now um we can maybe talk about that a bit more in a sec but yes the goal itself have you seen it yes i have all right now do you think between the ball maybe going out of play the foul maybe uh that was committed during the goal being scored and the potential offside do you think in any of that there was cause for it to be uh ruled out uh i agree with what a lot of the pundits are saying, which is if there was cause for it to be ruled out, the most obvious one was uh, the push on Gabrielle. Yeah, which which looked which did looked a little uh, a little unruly. 
so to speak. Uh-huh. It could have been called for that. But honestly, for me, it's there's such it's such millimeter things we're talking about with, that it highlights more than anything else for me the the problems of of uh, of VAR. It's yeah, it's the inconsistency. It's the but I mean the inconsistency. The inconsistency is a bit. It's 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 part of football. It's part of refereeing. It's part of you know. It's the fact that. Not every decision is going to be exactly the same, even if it's the same situation. And that's that's because of a lot of factors and a lot of tiny factors that, that run into it. And when there wasn't VAR, uh, that was accepted as sort of part of the flow of it. And yes, people would get annoyed at refs because people have always gotten annoyed at refs when decisions didn't go their way. But you accepted that uh, a referee wasn't all seeing and and that uh, little mistakes could be made, especially when they're little ones linked to millimeters, like in this kind of in this yeah. kind of case. But VAR has brought in this expectancy of perfection, and it's the expectancy of perfection that I think is is particularly damaging. Yes, I agree. So as for the as for the Newcastle goal, uh, I'm. I think it was right to be given because in, in my personal opinion, there's too many goals that are overruled. You, you want a goal. If it's well worked, if it's scored, you know, by through a team effort, and this is a very clear reason for it to not be given. I'd rather it be given because, you know, you want to see goals. You want to be, see fluid football. And uh, for me in that particular instance, um, although I would have been happy for a draw because I had a little cheeky bet on that result. Um, in, in that instance, I think it was right to be given because the, none of those three things, although there were many things, none of them were so clear and obvious for it to be um, overruled. And I, that leads to my opinion on VAR as well, which is it it does it is overused and it's not used well. Like there's so many errors, so many errors, and there's so much inconsistency. Things that are given in one game are just not given in, in the next, even though they're basically identical. So many things are missed even. And that's shocking really, because we're talking about a, a literal live replay software yeah. uh, that, that misses things all the time, or the people in the room missing them. And it, it begs the question really, what do we have VAR for? Like if, what is it actually for if not to eliminate that kind of thing? And it's at the moment not doing its job. And therefore, I would I would be in favor of getting rid of it right now until it can be improved. Because it's not it's not helping. If you know it like you said, mistakes can be given in football without VAR. But at the end of the day, you know, you make a decision, maybe something will get missed, maybe a decision isn't great, but at the end of the day, you've got a ref on the pitch, and he is tasked, and he's given the authority of making decisions as he sees them, or as he, he and, his, and his linesmen see them. And, yeah. you know, you're, you're introducing this thing, which is supposed to sort of help with that and just take away the errors from it, but actually it's not doing that at all. And it's just making things mm-hmm. worse. It's it's increasing the time of spent just standing around waiting for decisions to be made, and the controversy, if anything, is go, is getting worse, not better. Yeah, I agree with that definitely, definitely. Yeah, we'll see how the rest of this plays out over the rest of the season and see if there there are any decisions made by the Premier League. Mm-hmm. One more Premier League game I think we should talk about is uh, Luton at home to Liverpool. What a, what a game for them to be hosting 
Liverpool in a ground like that, <laughs> nestled nestled in some houses, <laughs> hosting one of the biggest clubs in the world. Um, but and yeah, getting a draw and getting a draw from it and getting a point and pos- and you know almost a win. Good for them. But uh, we have to, of course, mention Luis Diaz who's going through some uh, very difficult situation right now. He managed to come off yep. the bench and get an equalizer, which really, you know, you have, you can only feel happy about seeing that. Um, yeah. In, it, in the mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, big for Luton and uh, well, Liverpool won't be, won't be too happy to drop points um, to Luton. No, I mean, that was another, another team, another team that, underperformed this week really uh liverpool and yes and uh the quick quick reference to fbl in there again salah who also blanked so between the three big captains this week salah harland and uh watkins all blanked which i think actually worked out in everyone's favor because when everyone saw their <laughs> saw their captain blank like they all panicked <laughs> thinking that somebody else's was going to do something amazing which was a, was a slight relief i know that happened to me because after Haaland got one point, I'm sitting there thinking Salah's going to score a hat trick, isn't he? He's going to score a hat trick, isn't he? And and he did. So slight slight relief to me on that one. <laughs> Not going to lie. Yeah, Salah getting nothing against Luton and, and Watkins getting nothing against Sheffield is is not something I expected. Um, not at all. And 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 Haaland getting nothing against Bournemouth. I mean, yeah, big surprise. Very yep. uh, low scoring week this week. Um, but mm-hmm. like you say, everyone's sort of equally affected, although not. No, not entirely. Um, all right. Well, just looking, uh, just looking briefly outside the Premier League, we uh, we were treated to a Der Clásica, and I've only just found out that that's what it was called. I don't know if they've completely ripped <laughs> off El Clásico or not, but um, everyone's ripped off El Clásico. Uh, yeah. Everyone has one now. <laughs> anyway, so a Der Clásico, which, as you might expect, is the um, Bayern Munich versus Dortmund in the Bundesliga. Although it really wasn't much of a matchup. Um, Comfortable 4-0 win for uh, Bayern, including a uh, Harry Kane hat-trick. Now, Harry Kane, I would like to talk about briefly because he has now broken the record for most goal in the Bundesliga, most goals scored in the first 10 games for a player, and now at 15. And, you know, we're now, I'm so glad we're now seeing what he can do in a great team, which we always thought he could do, you know, which is put out crazy, crazy numbers to rival anyone else in the world. And yeah, um, yeah. I just wanted to very quickly ask you, Tristan, before we move on, I don't want to ask, I'm not going to ask who you think is better because I feel like that's a slightly redundant question. But if you were building a team, like you're managing a team and you're building one and you take your own style into account and you've got to pick a striker. Would you take Harry Kane or Erling Haaland? That's a very good question. Based on the style of football that I kind of like, uh, I would probably say Haaland, just because he's got that he's got that clinical finishing, and I I'm quite like I quite like a. I quite like a, a cross, a game, play down the wings with overlapping fullbacks, large crosses into the box, and you need you need that tall clinical guy that's in there in the right space that just happens to be happens to have found himself in acres of space and is going one hundred percent going to pop it in the back of the net. 
Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I would take Kane, actually, because I like a guy who can drop in a bit and sort of link up with his teammates, get some assists. Um, I, uh, that, that's, that's good for me, that sort of total football thing. Um, fair enough. I think it also depends a little bit. Although, I've, um, well, I'm not sure. Haaland, I think, hasn't been fully tested in, like, big games. He didn't... Ex- he didn't he didn't do much in like the latter stages of the Champions League, did he? He was a bit more prolific in the group stages. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and I feel like Harry Kane, if you could make a criticism of him, it's that he's probably not what you'd describe as a big game player. Um, you know, he, he is extremely consistent. You know, give him a season and he'll score 50 goals. Uh, but, you know, ask him to win you a World Cup final and... Uh, he might not turn up, um, you know, yeah, yeah. so there is that. But then, then Haaland, I don't, you know, I feel like it's a bit of an unknown on that, in that sense. He doesn't really get the opportunities with Norway and uh, hasn't, hasn't been, hasn't had a long club career yet. So uh, we'll see on that front. But uh, yeah, I think for me, the answer would be Kane. I think a question also is, uh, Haaland is going to reveal his full potential as the seasons go by, I believe. And uh, I personally, I don't know about you, Keenan, have been wondering what uh, the Premier League is going to look like in three seasons' time. Like, let's say, two thousand, the season twenty six, twenty seven. Uh, do we think it's still going to be the same title contenders up there, or are we going to see some new faces? Like, what do you think the top, let's say, top six are going to look like in in that in that season? Uh, well, I think Newcastle will will break in quite comfortably into the sort of traditional big six. Uh, we're seeing that, Saudi cash. We're seeing that already. Yeah, the Saudi cash. But in fairness to them, they're doing it. They're they're doing it well. Like the the way they're building themselves up. You know, Saudi cash is obviously helping, but they're 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 being smart about it. You know, um, I would say. So yeah, I would I'd be I would see Newcastle in there, and as for the team that they're for, and Brighton maybe I just I don't know if Brighton have the long term resources to com to compete mm. at the very top over the long term. Uh, I think they're great now. I think they've got some. If they can, I mean, to be fair, to be fair, I say that if they can keep spawning wonder kids out of absolutely nowhere buying them up for a million pounds and selling them for a hundred million they will secure their finances maybe they already have yeah. all those sales to chelsea and so on um you know so i mean if yeah if they can keep managing their club as effectively as they have been these last few seasons then who you know who's to say they can't be up there um but in terms of like the sort of revenue their profile uh, ownership and so on you know They'd have, they have to keep being really smart, um, which they could, but it's not a given. Uh, whereas Newcastle, I think, are a given. And, but it, I don't necessarily think any of the current big six will drop off long term because um, I think they're all still investing well-ish and you know, they all still have big money and the, the ambition to sort of stay up there. So I think we're just going to be seeing a big seven, really as opposed to anyone like dropping out of the big six? I think that uh, of the two big stragglers in the big six, Chelsea and United right now, for me, United are the more worrying 
I can see with the recent purchases, with you know the general the general quality of their academy, uh, Chelsea have a lot of paths back to 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 their former to their former selves, or at least you know a, a solid spot up at the top of the table. But mm. United are are not exhibiting uh, decent pathways. Their their ownership is is at best reluctant. Uh, the managers have been disappointing for a while. Their new signings have been disappointing for a while. They're not producing any new young players that are particularly exciting or haven't for a while either. It looks kind of bleak right now, and they have they have the history and they have resources. And there's you know I'm not I'm not writing them off. Yeah. But but if they're top seven, then they're seventh. <laughs> right. I, no, I agree, but I think the really, the really big question, and it's completely unknown at the moment, is whether they can complete a successful takeover to an owner that wants to sort of rejuvenate them. If they mm-hmm. can do that, then then we could be talking about a completely different United in, in two years' time. But but I completely agree. If they continue on the path they're on right now, which is a culture of sort of toxicity, underperformance, arrogant players. Yeah. As for the other teams. Um, you know, I I am a bit of a biased Chelsea fan, um, but I I do see I am quite excited by the project there. It's it's it it for them different to United. The question is, do they do they really commit to a to the plan of build of sort of developing young players while also committing to actually having a performing team and not just like a development squad. Um. Because, you know, young players probably need senior players to actually improve, help them improve, right? They're not necessarily just going to improve just because they're young. Um, so, so for Chelsea to sort of get back up to where they used to be, they need, uh, they need results pretty soon. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't be a development squad forever. And like financially speaking, that doesn't work either. If you spend, you know, if you're a few, if you're a huge club and you spend like multiple seasons outside of Europe, your finances take a hit. Um, So I'm excited by the project. um, And I'm hopeful that in three seasons time, I say this more hopefully than (laughs) anything else, but I'm hopeful in three seasons, they could be title contenders. And if Pochettino, who I do believe in as a good coach for like young young talent if he's able if he's given the chance to stick around put his plan into action have a say over transfers then i think a real you know we could be seeing i think chelsea in like two seasons could look like arsenal did last season that's fair so that's chelsea and united um you know i think liverpool are they need to make sure they keep reinvesting but otherwise they're in a good position city they might run they might lose a bit of their complete dominance but they'll they look like this they look like they're a smart club with the money and behind them so i think they'll they'll be fine um yeah who am i missing arsenal same thing you know i don't i don't think they're a huge club i think they're i think they're overperforming right now to what they probably is like their equilibrium so i don't think they'll yeah. be at the top for a long time um so if I had to guess, and this is just my personal guess, I would say three years time, 2026, 2027, 
I'm predicting a three-horse race between City, Newcastle and Chelsea. What do you say? I disagree with uh, with the Arsenal predictions and I also think uh, I also think that the Liverpool rebuild could be uh, could be potentially potentially very devastating. So I would say uh, the the three horse race of Arsenal, City, and Liverpool. Personally, okay. but we shall make a note of this. Write this down, Keenan. <laughs> Write this down, and when we we are recording our episode in three years' time, we will bring this up and we'll yeah. see where things are at. Listeners in 2027, do call us out on these predictions. Uh, we'll, we'll see what we got right. See how right we were. Yeah. We'll see, we'll see how all that goes down in, 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 20, in 2026, 2027. But there have been some new and exciting signings outside the world of football that have been performing incredibly well. Most notably, a certain Victor Wimbanyama, who is crushing it in the NBA. Is he? Who does he play for? Uh, he plays for the San Antonio Spurs. Oh, right. First draft pick. Okay, exciting stuff. Well, speaking of the Spurs, they just completed a very exciting 20-point um, comeback versus the Suns, didn't they, recently? The, mm -hmm. Which uh, involved uh, four points in like the last few seconds of the game. Um, which was 10 seconds. Yeah, including a steal from Kevin Durant. Who you had the ball in his own like corner, and it was stolen from him, and then dunked in, and then uh, yeah. that was the winner of the game. Um, that was crazy. That was exciting. Yeah, it was exciting, and and Wembe Wembenyama Wemby was uh, was a was a pivotal part of that, and he got thirty eight points in the next game, which is huge for a rookie for a rookie in his first wow. year. So yeah, Spurs are definitely ones to watch. The San Antonio Spurs. We are talking about the basketball Spurs people. Uh, yes. <laughs> But the, the other Spurs are also wants to watch. Um, and then, uh, well, uh, Novak Djokovic, uh, completely dominating it yet again, has now won a record-extending 40th Masters 1000. And um, i got to say, you know, it, it, it saddens me to admit this as a person who absolutely loves Roger Federer, but it's hard to look past Novak Djokovic as the best tennis player, men's tennis player of all time. Not because he's a particularly exciting or enjoyable guy to watch, but uh, because he's just so unbelievably flawless in terms of his... He's the mathematical goat. What, is he like, is he like good at algebra and stuff? No. <laughs> mathematical is in the numbers are all in his favour. He's got the most of everything. <laughs> yeah, well, m m almost the most of everything. That's true. But it's also, he does pass the eye test in terms of like, again, not because he's exciting to watch, but because he's so, he must be so frustrating to play. You know, he just absolutely never gives up. Completely relentless. So many games I've seen of him where he goes down like a set or two. And you just know that he's not going to lose that game. You just know. He's like, oh, right, Djokovic is two sets down. Doesn't matter. The man, the man has a mentality of steel. And a last, a last piece outside of football uh, with this week's wacky sport, Keenan. Mm. I give you Omnikin or Kinball, which is a sport played in Quebec, uh, but also in other places around the world. It is an international sport, uh, which is the only competitive sport that is played with three teams on the court. 
and very quickly, it involves a giant inflatable ball. Uh, there's four players per team, and there are three teams, as I said. The giant inflatable ball and the uh, a player from one of the teams, they're almost always in, uh, gray, blue, and black, calls out uh, the name of the team, of a team, of an opposing team. So I'll say black, and then he'll hit the ball, and the black team have to stop the ball from touching the ground. And it goes on like that, basically. But you can choose. So there's always two teams that could potentially be uh, be targeted. And uh, and so it's kind of interesting that it's this, there's a three-way game. And also, I, I recommend you guys watch a few highlights. The, watching this giant inflatable ball uh, float around the court is pretty impressive and pretty fun as well. Sounds fun. <laughs> I want to give it a go. I definitely want to give it a go. Where do they play it? Where is it? It's played on an indoor court, like basketball side court. No, I mean like which country? Oh, Canada, Canada, Japan, France, uh, Czech Republic. There are a few, few countries around here and there, but there's, you can find it, like a lot of sports, you can find it pretty much everywhere nowadays. All right. Uh, Keaton, I, I'm afraid to say that I have to wrap it up here. It's been great chatting with you. Ladies and gentlemen, I recommend you check out the Champions League matches tonight. Uh, they're going to be great fun. We will be discussing those next week, I'm sure. Keenan, enjoy your week in football, and uh, I'll see you next time. Have a good football week. Bye. Thanks, mate. Bye.